This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. <laughs> That's Dave's best impression of a German accent. Mm. And I'm the Machine. I studied German. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. Das gut? Yeah, das gut. Yeah, I, when I pretended to be a philosophy person, I was studying a second language for uh, graduate school. You needed to read Kant in the original language to Actually, really pick up on the nuances. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Kant and Nietzsche, but... But then I realized I'm too dumb. Well, this is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Das Boot. Das Boot. Das was one. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show, since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Dave, I think we need to just talk about the elephant in the room. You were not here last week. What, no, uh, what's going on? <laughs> what happened? I have COVID. You left this cryptic note that said, oh, I'll right. be back, and two of the words were misspelled. Yeah, yeah. So... I forgot about our deep and rich fiction. Uh, mm. I went out to the corner store. Is that what they call in the 80s? Convenience sure. store? Yeah. The convenience store, the corner store. And then I just lost my way. <clears throat> I lost my way in a <laughs> haze of respiratory infection. I, I don't know how to make up a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you uh, you were sick in bed. You 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 uh, contracted the, the mm. I don't know, the, the pandemic disease that we've all been suffering through for the last two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, COVID sucks. That's what happened. I, I don't uh, What were we talking about? I left a um, note because yes. uh, that's what you do in the 80s. Nobody had smartphones. And uh, once you left the room, nobody knew where you were and everyone's okay with that. Yeah, you couldn't contact me. There's nothing. Yeah, uh, it seems like you and Jen Sanford are in a bit of a feud. I don't, uh, I don't really want to step into that at all. But uh, she is trying to, I think, push you off this, uh, this podcast. Well, I don't think that's any surprise. It's not just uh, it's not just come up here every time she guests for us. It came up when I interviewed her for my photography podcast. She is very bitter. Did it really? Yeah. 
she's very bitter that you didn't want her as your co-host for this show. And I can see why, Kyle, because uh, she's very bitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you both ever cross paths again, I look forward to like the, uh, the fisticuffs, the well, brouhaha that might uh, erupt from that. I know we have another guest for it, but it would be fitting to get her on for Rocky. Uh, that's great. Well, thank you for coming back here, Dave. I also, another big uh, kind of a evolvement or character progression, I guess, let's say about this podcast. Evolvement. I think, I think, I think DD, you remember DD, right? DD has DDS, the, uh, right. the, the dentist at his yeah, yeah, shop yeah, yeah. here in the corner our of roommate. our, yeah, that made that Dave yeah. and Kyle's wonder emporium, our mm. arcade that we have here that's mm. going on. I think she's embezzling money, but oh, I haven't. Well. That's figured big. out. But there's some money disappearing, and I. She's the only other person here. We have money? I mean, the, the, the quarters are piling up, Dave. <laughs> the quarters are piling up. Let's put it that way. You know what I just realized? A quarter in the 80s was a lot of money for these kids to be shelling <laughs> into machines, right? Sure was. Huh. Now it's like if you go to arcade, it really is dollars that it's you're like putting into the arcade machines. Yeah. 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 Dave, what about those Oscars this past Sunday? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oscars. Good. Yeah, like an important yeah. conversation. Yes. I produced the show this year. That's why it was the best ceremony ever. I mean, Dave, it's not like we record this entire episode and then are inserting this piece of audio about the Oscars uh, later on. That would be crazy way to do a recording session. No. That's not what we're doing. We would lose the trust of our audience. We would, right? If they didn't, right? I mean, this is clearly happening live at the moment exactly we recorded listening to it. the morning of friday and then immediately post it right after we're finished with it no well, edits listen, no nothing the internet and social media are famous for representing reality as it truly is kyle and i'm happy to continue that tradition yeah i have discovered obviously that the best way to disseminate information is in real time on social media because of course that's the best way to have a dialogue with people you can't lie you can't lie. You, you can't lie about lie. your life if you're on Instagram. It's all real. I'm asking a question I absolutely know the answer to. Did you watch this weekend's awards at no. all, Dave? Of yeah. course you did. <laughs> <laughs> I was, of course, there watching it's for a like... It's fucking sham. All whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, fine. Whatever. There's a few different things I need to say. There's, of course, some very important things we need to cover about this weekend's awards. Oh. I mean, the big one, of okay. course, is that Power of the Dog has now become just like The Graduate, in that it only won Best Director this year. The only other movie to okay. do that was The Graduate. <laughs> so it's in okay. good company, I suppose. There was no sweep of power of the dog, like a lot of people yeah, were predicting. I saw Coda. I mean, I don't want to hate on it, but... It's fine. Uh, should it have won no, Best Picture? No, it's fine. It's a completely right? serviceable... It's a good film. movie. Yeah, like it's right? not awful. You, you will cry when you watch it. Well, I you didn't, know, but it, sure. But it also not, uh, you know, it's not a... Can you put that and let's say Parasite into a right. box? No. 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 Not at all. Right? No. No. It's almost, it's borderline made for TV movie. Yeah, I would agree with not that. To be so an asshole. Apple becomes the first streamer to win Best Picture. But that is a yeah. nothing corrupt about that. Nothing corrupt about your that. Oscars, they yeah. Totally did buy are that win. True. 
No. Netflix has been trying so hard for the last five years to to get that award. They just haven't it's, been paying the right people, apparently. I guess not. Guess not. So mm-hmm. there's that. I do have to say, just for Coda, Troy Kotzer becomes the second deaf actor to win an acting award. So that's pretty cool. Uh, did he win something? Okay. Uh, he cool. won Best Supporting yeah. Actor for Coda. Okay. He was good in it. Yeah, sure. no, he's great. He's phenomenal in that movie, mm-hmm. I would say. It's unfortunate that Marley Matlin is also in Coda because she's the only other deaf actor people know about. <laughs> like, there has yeah. been, not been huge progression since her win in the 80s, is what I'm trying to say. So, Ariana DeBose becomes the second Latino woman to win an acting award after... Go Rita. Can you, can you get... Yeah, Rita Moreno was the first person. For the same role. So, same role, yeah. <laughs> 50 years apart, we've given it to the same She's She was great, though. Yeah, Phenomenal. she saved that she, movie. She definitely yeah. deserved she held that, that one, movie for together. sure. Mm-hmm. No offense to Spielberg whom I'm a big fanboy of. Right. I love that yeah. movie. It was one of my favorites of the mm-hmm. year, so I'm I'm kind of high up on it. I thought there was too much singing and dancing. I feel that there's one other th- there's one other thing that I was going to mention about this. Gosh, what was it that happened at the awards that was news? Were- oh, right. Someone got slapped live on stage. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, mostly because if anyone has been following us on social media, there's, of course, been the reactions on that night. The counter reactions, the reactions to the counter reactions, the reactions to the counter reactions of the counter reactions. It's so dreadfully over talked about at this point. This is why I deleted Twitter. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know. Is there anything that you want to do as a fine point on the whole event? I know you weren't watching it. As I will say, it came up on YouTube. As someone who was watching it live while this happened, it was kind of bonkers. Only because surreal. Yeah. Chris Rock comes out, does a joke about Macbeth and Denzel Washington, which I thought was actually pretty funny. Does the joke to Jada Pinkett Smith. I was like, mm, that's not really all that good. Like, it wasn't a funny joke and is referencing something that nobody under 30 would probably have a reference to anyways. So anyways, it was dumb. And then, of course, we see Will Smith get up out of his seat, go and slap Chris Rock. And honestly, I did think it was a bit for a second. Like, it, it's the, the sound effect that those mics picked up sounded overproduced and i was like oh okay Mm -hmm. they're doing a joke i guess and then they cut the sound for 30 seconds of the broadcast i'm like oh i don't think this is i don't think this is supposed to happen and then definitely coming back this is me of course analyzing the moment you kind of see chris rock like look to his left and i'm pretty sure because he's hosted a couple times in the past i think he's looking at the producer and it's like have we cut like are we actually still live (laughs) right now because honestly, if I was probably in the truck, I would probably have cut to commercial at that point. But whatever. I think he's just like, oh, we're still going. So I guess I'm going to give out the award for best documentary and try and pretend that this is a totally normal thing that has just happened in front of a live television audience. It was, it was a really odd, weird moment. Yeah, clearly got your hackles up. It came on my YouTube feed because so many people are interested in this filth. Mm-hmm. So I watched it. Chris Rock is... Past his prime, the jokes were shit. Mm-hmm. He made a fun of a woman who has a medical condition. That's a cheap laugh. Yeah. Wasn't a good joke. G.I. Jane is not relevant. Well, that's what I said. It's like literally, like literally no one knows what G.I. Jane is anymore. But. Although she, she had to sleep with Ashton Kutcher after, so that's something. Yeah, you know, Will Smith, I don't know. Will Smith's been crazy for a while. Hasn't there been a bunch of stuff where he's been very unstable yeah, this in the is, last year and a half? This is where I have to admit that I have kept up with none of that. And everyone kept talking about that, that it was like public knowledge. And I was like, I don't, I actually uh, don't know any of this I information just, about them sleeping with other people, about them having an open marriage. I did not know she had a medical condition. Like, I didn't know any of this information. No, like, I didn't All either. this was no, new I, information to me. It just popped up in my mind because... Uh, Several months ago on my YouTube feed too, something came up about him crying on a 
talk show or some shit. I don't know. And I was like, eh, I don't care. And I kept going, but it flashed me back because uh, actually this come up, you know, maybe the problem is method acting. I don't even know if he is a method actor though. I don't know. I don't think. No, I know, but I haven't seen King Richard, but isn't Venus and uh, Serena Williams' dad an asshole? Yes. Supremely. Yeah. That's the the thing that kind of... Not an excuse. He should not have gone and assaulted somebody. No, like that's (laughs) the thing No matter how bad the joke is. Extra rubs me the wrong way. Like, you can go and read some much smarter people than me that have looked at this, diagnosed this from like a racial point of view, from like a gender point of view. I'm not smart enough to get into those conversations at this point. I don't think the joke is really well constructed or even good. Did he deserve to get slapped across the face? Probably not. Should Will Smith have been escorted out of the award ceremony? I think so. But I mean, again, whatever. That's the Academy's role and job to enforce those rules, not me. It's a shame. What I will say is that when Will Smith does win Best Actor later in that night and he goes up there to speech, what a bizarre thing to sit through well, and I listen to. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, because that. he's trying to tie three <laughs> separate plot threads together. And essentially, it comes down to I played this fictional or not fictional. I played a fictionalized version of a real person. He protected his family and I felt like I needed to protect my family. But also, I apologize to the Academy. It was such a bizarre, meandering, weird speech. I'm like, dude, you're making this worse. Just say thank you Mm. and get off the stage. Honestly, I thought the best, most gracious diss that happened throughout the evening was actually Anthony Hopkins, who came out to give the Best Actress Award. After that oh. speech happened, he comes out and is like, well, Will has said all that needs to be said here tonight. What more can be said but peace and love and quiet? Should he have won for King Richard? Is that I good? mean, that's a, again, everyone has their own opinion about what qualifies why... great acting. No, I don't think so. Awards but that's just the so one dumb. person. I'm just one person, Dave. I don't know. Who, el- uh, who else was up for this award? Aren't we in a stage where they should just gender neutralize this shit anyways? And Probably. just be best performance? Honestly, right, anyways. Every, the best performance of the year was Ariana DeBose anyways, personally. That was just me. Yeah. But, uh, Cumberbatch was up for it. Oh, it was Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, which is who I would have probably mm. voted for. And then a couple other people. Anyways. I thought there was too much singing and dancing. I've lost my Netflix fanboy status. Like, I, I don't know. I, I've been... Uh, Noticing I'm not actually clicking play a lot on the Netflix content. Well, but, that's yeah. that's a your problem, Dave. Yeah. It was a bizarre show. Uh made even worse because I didn't like the three hosts. Um I actually usually there like them individually. So yeah, there's three I hosts. They gave up on hosts. Who who are the hosts? Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, Regina Hall. Uh, I like them all individually. Three past actually. their primes? Yeah. I mean, are they relevant? Maybe not. There's been some talk online who should host next year because of course as soon as the oscars ends they have to talk about the next year i thought they gave up on hosts i I, they did for the last three years i think they should get lady gaga to host it next year i really do for a few different reasons one if you've ever seen her concerts or any of her presentations she likes to go theatrical she loves the older generations with like tony bennett and um oh there's someone else she collaborated with but old like generations she came out and helped do the Best Picture winner announcement with uh, Liza Minnelli, who was in a wheelchair. Anyway, so she was very gracious because Liza Minnelli got confused about where she was for a moment on stage, which was kind mm. of an interesting moment, too. But kind yeah, bring her out. Mm-hmm. and Because the rest of the show, honestly, was complete dog shit. It was a bad show, uh, just a bad show in general. It, so I love that you're surprised by that. Well, I Someone am surprised who's been watching this garbage for like 30 years. No, oh, it had. No, I, last I, I totally year you complained about it. You said it was so weird. Then the, isn't the last no, year the one with the remember, screens? No, if you remember, I said last year, oh, the last hour wow. was weird. But the, for the first two hours, <laughs> it was great. It was an honoring of 
the people right. and the and the year of film. And I thought it was really cool. It was very intimate. People got to talk about their own favorite actors mm-hmm. and stuff as they came up. And it was cool. This year, I won't even get into it. It was completely overproduced. They cut the awards for like eight of the categories and then just came back oh. and did a truncated version of their acceptance speeches. And it was still 30 minutes longer than last year's uh, runtime. So tell me how that worked out. Anyways, I have, it was, uh, it was not I have a done. better host suggestion mm-hmm. um, just to close this segment off. Yeah. Will Smith. <laughs> to, to Will Smith. Just close the loop. Redemption art. Yeah. All right. By the way, there is no way that they don't reference that next year. Like that's how the show opens. Well, it's like going to be a meme. Percent. Yeah. Yeah. From now on, someone's going to get slapped in every award ceremony yep. for the next fucking 10 years. Cannot wait for it. If there's one thing Hollywood loves, it's uh, beating dead horses. So power of the dog. So power. <laughs> Let's get to talking about Doss Boot here okay. then, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. You have seen this movie before, correct? Yes. Tell me about the first time you watched Das Boot. Oh, I don't remember very much. I remember I liked it. I remember that it's uh, German. <laughs> How old would you have been? I would have been a rental, so probably in my 20s. I'm guessing that I watched the theatrical version only because I didn't even know there was such a thing called the director's cut. But I, I, you know, I don't know what which version they would have had on a DVD at the time. I so. actually don't know if that would have been true, to be honest with yeah, you. Because yeah, yeah. I don't think the theatrical cut was ever released... At least not onto DVD by itself. Uh, okay. So from what watched. I understand. You probably did watch the director's cut even back then. Yeah. We'll get into that in a moment because just like Blade Runner, there's like six different versions of this film that you can watch. Um, I have to say, I only know Das Boot by the name. Mm. Like I've heard of Das Boot for many, many years. Knew it was a German film. Uh, even knew it was directed by Wolfgang Peterson because he came over to Hollywood and directed a bunch of stuff. Some iconic Big stuff movies. in the 80s, in mm-hmm. fact. So I knew him as a director of those films, and this had been his time back in Germany. I had a roommate in university, my first year university, who was obsessed with this movie, and yet I still never watched it. What? What do you mean obsessed? He kind of gave off. He had like posters of... uh... No, but he always brought it up. It's it's the best movie of all time. He has German heritage, so, you know, he's... You know, part Nazi. Was he, yeah, I was going to say, was he saluting when he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I will say, from what I've read, this is kind of anti-Nazi. I don't know, haven't watched it, so I can't really comment on right, that. Right, right, you haven't watched it. Deep and rich. Um, so yeah, I really just know it by name. Mm. I also know that this has been parodied on The Simpsons a couple of times. I was going to say, <laughs> obviously... Well. That's how I always Simpsons. get my references. Uh, what season and which but, episodes? Uh, I don't know. It was it, There was an episode that was basically doing this and Crimson Tide and the other one. The one with Alec Baldwin? Red October? Hunt for Red October, yeah. Sean that's Connery the one. and Alec Baldwin. Yeah. There's been a lot of Jack Ryans. I thought Alec Baldwin was a pretty good Jack Ryan, but Harrison Ford made it his own. And uh Come on, yeah. Yeah. Also Alec Baldwin apparently is a murderer, so you know, that's uh, that's yeah, that is correct. <laughs> uh I mean I bring it up all the time, not Alec Baldwin being a murderer, but that uh there was a few directors in the nineties who kind of just understood Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and what he could do and he was in all those movies that have basically the same title for me I don't know this is a me thing it doesn't get into that like um the Bruce Willis thing of the last 15 years where it just feels like it's direct-to-video crap churn out well, that's going on up. for yeah. him it was like it's basically the same movie that Harrison Ford was in for like 15 movies in mm-hmm. the 90s but each one of them I like so I don't know it's one of the, maybe it's just a weird white person thing no i don't you know it's we talked about this before with hollywood stardom he just has that 
There's a couple guys, right? They just, the ones that make it have that transcendent character aura where like no matter what they're doing, you're like, oh yeah, I, I trust this guy. I'll follow this guy. <laughs> but when they lose that, like Bruce Willis, I felt like that in the 90s too, but he kind of Adam yeah, Sandler yeah. did. He, he just looks depressed. He doesn't look, he just looks like a piece of shit now. So it's weird. Well, there's also the um, a theory that he actually has dementia right now. Maybe. He just, he doesn't look good. Yeah. A, he's being taken advantage of, and B, he's just like grabbing as much money as he can to give off to his family when he passes away. Before I don't know. He, that's that's, that's a, a completely made up theory that I have no theory. basis for. But I don't know. It feels something like that. He doesn't look right, and it's too yeah. bad because he had a good run. Before we go too far down this tangent, I will say, again, this is my own opinion. Weirdly, I think Adam Sandler, because you just brought him up, I agree, just like sort of churning things down. Like, I don't even have any desire to watch this mm. but it's kind of turned a corner the other way recently mm. where it feels like he is trying again even with his comedies so i don't know it's 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 a weird uh, progression that some of these people have yeah we'll never know i guess the personal lives but uh something happened Ad adam sandler you know like post i don't know what is his last funny move big dad i don't know something happened and then afterwards he put out like 10 years yeah. where he literally looks depressed and suicidal on yes. the screen and then, uh, and then when he got the Netflix deal, he's starting to get a little more peppy. But I know com yeah. comedians are, you know, it's a hard job, you know, to try to be funny. Most of them have dark pasts in order to yeah. want to be performative. But whatever happens, tears of him, a clown. It's pretty scary, man. Okay, well, let's just do a quick conversation then about Wolfgang Peterson. If that name somehow doesn't sound familiar to you, if you did grow up in the '80s, you will definitely know him from The NeverEnding Story, because he mm. is the director and writer of The NeverEnding Story. Oh, that first, the first one, at least, Does not, it hold the, up? not the two sequels. I haven't seen it in 20 years. Probably not. Love the music. I mean, it probably doesn't. Atreyu! But uh, no. if you want to see how much I cried when Atreyu dies in, in that mud puddle, holy shit. <laughs> I was I could not hold it together when I was like five watching that movie. It's like, what are you doing to me? Anyone in their like thirties, forties, and older could you know just understands what we're talking about right now. But I have a suspicion, <laughs> you know, millennials have no idea what they missed out on with that disgusting puppet. There's <laughs> no way it holds up. Talking about those generic 90s movies, mm. he also directed In the Line of Fire, which was Classic. the Clint Eastwood starring film. Mm -hmm. He did um, John Malkovich. Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Yep. He did that one. Uh, Outbreak, if you remember Outbreak. And then he did Dustin, uh, the yeah. Troy, yeah. The, the big yeah. budget Troy, which I even at the time was like, eh, it's fine. It's but fine. I didn't love it. And then he did Poseidon, the, which I believe is the remake of the Poseidon Adventure mm -hmm. in 2006. Did you watch that? But his last film. Poseidon. I've never oh, wait, watched it. Is that it, the actually. one with Kurt Russell? Uh, yes, it is Kurt Russell. It's not uh, a good so, movie, but it was fun. It's not good, but it's fun is how most people describe this podcast. <laughs> and then the last movie he made, he went back to Germany after spending so many years in Hollywood. He made this one called um, Fear Gegen die Bank. Four, man, Four Against the Bank. That's what mm -hmm. the English title is. Or Wir Gegen die Bank is what it is in German, I believe. Haven't seen it. No idea if it's good or not. But yeah. uh, Based on the reviews, it looks like it is not. Uh, so, I don't know. Thoughts on Wolfgang Peterson? No, I, I don't know. He has a couple of restaurants, pretty famous. No, I... Um, no. Uh, yeah, that little run, you know, Never Any Story kind of stands out as a kid's film, but the In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One. Oh, Perfect Storm. Is that the Mark Wahlberg one? No. I mean, these are pretty big... Oh, it is the Mark Wahlberg one. I watched a lot of movies mm -hmm. in the 90s, apparently. 
Uh, these are pretty big budget films, and I, I suspect the success of Das Boot made him an uh, epic director. But yes, he's got yeah, that yeah. classic thing we've seen now that we've done this podcast for three years. Uh, what kind of curve? The bell curve of directors where they'll hit this peak with the exception of one or mm -hmm. two of these guys. Uh, and they'll output whatever is career-defining for them. And he had a pretty good run. The 80s and 90s were very kind to him. And he made some, mm -hmm. uh, very, you know, I, I could recall these films. Interesting. I don't know who directs any of these movies. I don't really keep track of it. Yeah, only if you're me and, like, obsessed by this type of stuff. Do, mm -hmm. Like, do you keep tabs on all this stuff? I would say that definitely, from what I remember, Troy did good business. So, yes. he, he probably was rewarded and he decided, oh, yeah. I'm going to do the Poseidon Adventure. That's what I'm going to cash my check in on. And then that bombed as far as I remember. So, I did see uh, it hasn't really made a movie just, since yeah. then. I mean, Troy's not a good movie, but it's always going to do well because you have like naked Brad Pitt, naked Eric Bana, you know, young. You have Orlando mm -hmm. Bloom. It's like all the hotties. Orlando Bloom with his yeah, best looking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All these uh, Hollywood hotties. It was too long. And uh, as someone who liked reading the Iliad, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't have any gods in it, what's the point? Maybe when we do the year 2004, we'll get into this more. That was the big conversation at the time. It's like, how are you adapting this if you don't include the God storyline? Because it's kind of important to the story that they're yeah. included, at least in some way, right? Yeah. Yeah. The moral narrative comes from how the gods interfere, you know? Because they're the ones that mm -hmm. are testing the character's uh, moral aptitude, etc. But who cares? You know, it's a poem from ancient Greece. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about that, Kyle. They want to okay. hear about entertainment. They want to know about a three and a half hour long German epic that takes place basically all inside of a submarine. So that's <laughs> what we're going to do. Dave and I are going to take a small break here and thank some of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll be discussing in much more detail the movie Das Boot. So, Leami, give me some German. If you say German. Oh, wow. This was 20 plus years ago. Um, yeah, if you... Sprechen die jo the Deutsch. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, I didn't think you'd go so blue quite so quickly, but okay. Do you speak German? Um, Auf Wiedersehen. Das Speak the Sustra. That's the only other one I know. <laughs> the, the song title. Oh, song. Well, it's a, it's a book uh, of aphorisms. Yeah, but that's Come what on, the... Uh, that's what Ric Flair came out to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, in Is it Led Zeppelin? Of course. No. Uh, it's uh, the, 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 the song from 2001 Space Odyssey. That's that's that song. You love the timpani as you were so uh, oh, excited for. <laughs> Just get your Go blood ham boiling. on that timpani, man. <laughs> Go ham on that timpani. I am here, of course, to also tell you that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, we have a bit of a new sponsor. Mm. I get to talk to you about Northwest Fest, and this is what they want me to say. Content to come. So, Northwest Fest Excellent. is... is <laughs> excellent, right? Yeah. No, Let I mean, just... as long as we know the content is coming... Everybody's right on the edge of their seats. You can Google it yourself. Just Google it, right? Well, Not I'm, you. I'm, I'm, that's I mean, what I'm the doing listeners here. So can. The, yeah. 
They can too, but listen, Northwest Fest is returning May 2022, so in just a month from now. And it is, uh, let's just go to their about section here. About? You know, the festival day began in 1983, a very, very good year, I might add, 1983 was. It's kind of gross. I was born. There's nothing of value. I came into this world. Nothing of value occurred in that year. In fact, some might say it's like the dirge, the dirge of modern... (laughs) A, well, here's, blight, here's what happened. a blight was born in Rocky Mountain. Here's what also happened in 1983, is that this festival, Northwest Fest, started, but at the time, it was at the Edmonton Learning Center, and it was called the Third World Film Festival. Oh. I don't know if that would have track any yeah. <laughs> nowadays, but oh. here we are. In 1998, though, the center became the Global Visions Festival Society, and the nonprofit film festival took on the same name. But since May of 2015... To reflect the changing face of the festival, it was branded Northwest Fest to not only include the best in non-fiction filmmaking, but also local music, art, and media wherever possible. So let me talk, talk to you about some of the films that have debuted and have been exclusive premieres to this festival. Such films as Kirk Cobain, Montage of Heck, Hired Gun, Chasing Ice, The Act of Killing, The Central Park Five, and Hodorowski's Dune. That is a great movie, by the way, if anyone has ever watched that documentary. I would go to northwestfest.ca. I'm sure in the coming weeks there'll probably be some sort of code we'll give to you that you'll get some sort of percentage off your whoa, ticket. Whoa, whoa, Don't, um, don't be too don't know. Content just, to come. Just, content just, to come. Uh, the content to come. I'm, I'm, I'm overstepping my bounds. You're overstepping my bounds. so much trouble here. You just made an offer that you can't back up. <laughs> I cannot we're back gonna up have to, we're gonna have way. To, yeah, we're going to be liable for it. People are going to be like, hey, Kyle. Where's my coupon, man, bro? To be fair, you do have to live in Alberta anyways to go to this festival, but... Uh... People fly in to uh, the third world. Uh, so let's talk about our second sponsor, Pod Power. I'm just going to rush through this because I actually don't know how long I'm going to mm-hmm. last. Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Ep- Edmonton, it's always Edmonton Community Foundation, which I like, but they should just change the copy. Because it makes it sound like it's going to be somebody else. Edmonton Community Mm -hmm. Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Overdue Fines. Not Fines. Fines. With a D. With a D. Hard D. Everyone likes that hard D, (laughs) right? Yeah, I walked right into that one. Overdue Fines, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. I wonder if they know more about Northwest Fest than we do. Probably. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, help uh, head to head to epl.ca slash podcast. We should have invited them on for Mon Uncle Antoine. I bet they would have had an interesting opinion. Mistake. Missed, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. We should probably get more Canadian podcasters on in general. All right, Dave, we have now watched this three and a half hour long epic. Hit it me after a second viewing. What were your thoughts on Das Boot? Uh, this this movie is incredible. <laughs> I loved it. I loved uh, I, I loved every minute of it. It's I, I will uh, put the disclaimer just because we've been sick and, you know, it's hard to find three and a half hours. It took me three seatings because it's fucking long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had my teeth gritted 
for all three hours. It's so well fashioned, suspenseful, uh, exciting, reason like it well acted, but you know it's a bit of a pantomime, so it's exciting in its theatricalness. Overall, yeah, there's an interesting both anti-war and glorifying sort of camaraderie tension in it. So, I can understand as we'll learn, the author was a little bit upset about losing some of the tone from the original novel, but I I don't know. I thought it was awesome. I don't know. Having, I didn't get to talk about Gandhi, but uh, I think think Gandhi shouldn't have won Best Picture and uh, this had a better shot at it. Because it's built really well. I I loved it. I also love this movie. I want to preface everything I'm about to say with that. I really love this movie. More so than I actually thought I was going to. Anytime you go into an epic like this, it's like, oof, is this going to be able to sustain my attention for this long? And it did. I also will say I broke this up into three sittings because I have a hard time sitting for three and a half hours on a good day. So, But I was gripped the entire time. Even as I was like pausing it to take a break, I'm like, I actually don't want to <laughs> pause this right now, but I'm going to just so I can get up and walk around for a bit. I'm going to bring this up much later in the episode, but uh, Francois Truffaut. You're bringing it up now, so. Once said that it is impossible to make an anti-war film because the simple act of showing war is glorifying Mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. And Roger Ebert brings this up in his review. And I actually uh, disagree with that statement. I, I think that there is a bit of a glorification of these men in some ways, but I cannot imagine anyone watching this and being like, yeah. Let's go into a submarine and shoot things like it just looks awful. The entire situation looks awful to me and off putting. And this is not a criticism, but I will say that this is the biggest thing that I grappled with while watching this movie. While absolutely there is this anti-war sentiment within this film, there is different levels of like complete antagonism against like the Nazi officers who are telling them to do the things that they're set out to do uh, all the way to sympathizes at the same time i what i'm trying to say is that i don't think this is like trying to be like oh germany was really good in world war ii but at the same time i feel sympathy for these people at the end of the day and even if they did not hold the same views as the nazi regime in world war ii at that time had they been successful at what they set out to do they would still have been supporting the nazi regime and i think that that's this kind of a weird interesting thing to engage with in this movie which is like if this was told from the other point of view if this was an american film or a uk film an english film and we watched that bombing of them when they come home into the harbor at the end that would be like yeah like rah 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 at the end like yeah we're vanquishing the evil people but in this case it's like no we feel bad because we spent so long with these characters we're feeling sympathy and empathy for them even though ultimately i wouldn't have wanted them to succeed in what they were doing. So that's the weird thing about this movie and the magic trick that it plays for me. I I was in it. I was sympathizing with these characters and yet just laid out. I still don't really want them to succeed in what they're doing. We are in the midst of, uh, I mean, it's not like war has stopped and all of a sudden Russia walked into Ukraine and we have to worry about it again. It's part of human nature to fight. Uh, but what, one of the things that we learn in retrospect, and we keep forgetting as we uh, navigate through political waters, is that uh, war is not black and white. And, um, you know, what? what's that saying, right? The victors write history or whatever it is. Um, when I studied uh, once in university, I focused a lot on reading about, uh, yeah, f- uh, post-war philosophers, but also sort of World War II history. And I used to get really upset about this idea that the people that were 
you know, leading the Jewish, never mind fighting on the front lines and killing each other randomly. I mean, that alone is insane. Yep. There's uh, fascinating anecdotal accounts about what it's like to be on the ground and how the propaganda machine would intentionally uh, pantomime your enemy as these monsters. They're not human beings, etc. So that when you kill mm -hmm. them, you're more uh, dispassionate about it. I'm worried a lot when I hear sort of like the opinion you brought up, which is that when we vilify anybody and we try to dehumanize them, then we are dehumanized ourselves, right? Like we, like what, what does it mean to have an opinion that people should die because they were wearing the wrong uniform? It's, it's pretty fucked up, right? Uh, we, we won that we, meaning Western culture won that war. We identify that there's the Holocaust, which is, you know, brutal and disgusting. But as we talked a little bit about with missing, et cetera, um, you know, it's not like the U.S. <laughs> is this beautiful country who stands up for fucking ideals. They commit sure. worse atrocities daily than the German regime did in that five years. Uh, you know, you look at accounts of what happened in Afghanistan or in a, these dictatorial uh, coups that they were uh, part of throughout the last post, I mean, ironically, from the end of World War II until today, uh, they probably have a higher body count than the uh, Nazis ever built up. But, you know, nobody gives a shit about that. Sure. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. I'm, I'm not, my, my argument, I, maybe I mislabeled <laughs> what my position was. I'm not trying to say like, oh, the, the U.S. is like absolved of any crimes that they've ever done in their entire life. I'm just saying that there is this cognitive dissonance of like, regardless of how you even feel about World War II and the different sides and who did what things worse. The Germany of that time, headed by, headed by Hitler and all of his like footmen, were hell-bent on basically eradicating certain races from the planet. So had these U-boats been way more successful than that, but they were, they would have been supporting that regime very specifically. And that's the hard thing. It would be, the, I guess, maybe making a movie about what's going on right now, like from Russia's point of view, but from soldiers that don't really want to be doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There still is going to be that weirdness in your in your stomach where it's like, oh, I feel bad for these people, but yet they are still doing something that I don't want them to succeed at doing. And I think that's just an interesting take to do. Have you ever seen the film uh, or read the book, All Quiet on the Western Front? No, I know about it, but uh, okay. I... I don't think I've actually watched that movie. It's about World War One, mm -hmm. first of all, so a different war, and was like the second movie to win Best Picture. It is a fascinating movie because it's, again, telling it from the German point of view, although it's all Americans in the movie, but it's, a, it's telling it from the German point of view. And I think it's a, such an interesting like comparison to this movie because I think there's a lot of similarities. Ultimately, what both of them come down on the side of is like, you're throwing these good men into the middle of this awful situation while uh, the generals and the politicians get to sit back, get fat, eat their fancy banquets and never have to engage in the actual in the actual grunt work of what war actually entails, at least at that time, and becomes very uh, critical of that. It's like war is awful because you force good people to do bad things while you get to like completely disengage with the moral quandary of what that entails. I think both of them actually do that. I think there's that great scene where they meet up with the German officials for that, that mm -hmm. small morning in Gibraltar mm -hmm. or wherever they are. And you can see just how much the captain hates those officers. It's like, I'm not eating with you. Yeah. The, the only caveat I, I would put on that is I, you, for example, using the word good 
I think is problematic. Mm. I mean, I think what makes this movie so successful is that the men are n- normal more than good. I mean, half sure. of them are I disgusting too, yeah. right? And so, I think what we empathize with is that we kind of know people who are like this, uh, even though specifically, you know, driving a, a, your your car and having a bunch of guys piss on your car and think it's funny. I mean, that's that's a unique experience. It hasn't happened to me yet. I'm peeing on you right now. Uh, but do I know people who would have done that? Yeah, absolutely. And now that I've been in quarantine for a few weeks, do I have a better understanding what it's like to be stuck in a fucking tube for three months? A little bit, but I, I couldn't do it, you know? Plus when that pressure started dropping in your, uh, in your condo, it was really Well, that's living terrifying. in Alberta, man. Uh, <laughs> fucking schnooks. But no, I, I think that that's what makes this relatable is that they separate it from the sort of politicization of that particular war. Yeah. They make it a comment about, yeah, like normal men who are in a situation. I mean, they all enlist. These people are, I mean, when yeah. we talk about being forced, it's not like people are being, it's not the Russian fucking sea of bodies where if you're shot, if you turn around, right? I mean, nobody's being forced to die. The captain, I love the beginning where the captain and the the really burnt out captain are kind of like, look at these I can't remember what to call them, not lambs, but these baby-faced boys who think they're going to fight this glorious purpose, but we know that they're going to be stuck in the steel tube and we're probably going to die. <laughs> you know, we're happy to well, come back yeah, home. I you think know? it's fascinating. That's the crazy thing. I never knew that statistic. I'm, I guess I didn't fact check it, so I don't know how, much, how true it is, but at the very beginning, that little um, wall of text comes up and it's like, was it like of the 40,000 people or something like that, 30,000 of them died. Yeah. <laughs> like we're talking 75% of U-boat crews died in, in doing what they were doing. It's like, that's not a great statistic end. when you're, when you're going, going out to patrol the waters. I can't remember if they date this event specifically, but I think, you know, at the beginning of the war, the U-boat fleet was highly successful at what they were doing before the U.S. got involved. So, I think that the excitement, if I were to do some conjecture uh, in conjecturing, is that a young man who's hearing about the, you know, through the propaganda that the German Navy is kicking everyone's ass is going to be like, I either want to fly a plane and bomb Britain or I want to be in a boat and bomb some boats. And uh, it's going to sound exciting. And I, I think that's a great opening sequence where you see, uh, yeah, when they're in the brothel and uh, you get to see both sides. You see people like having so much fun because they're like, yeah, we're, we're winning. And then you have the people who have actually been on the battlefront. They're like, this is the worst experience of my life and I just want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, it sets a tone right away, which is great. But did you tell me that wasn't in the theatrical cut? Like that's part of the director's cut too? So, I tried to look this up. Maybe I was just misreading what I read, but from what I understand, the in the theatrical cut, the quote-unquote flashback to that time period is not in the movie. Mm. So, I think the two and a half hour theatrical cut uh, literally starts with them getting on the boat for the mm. first time and that's where it starts. It's big and the only time they get off the boat is with the, that little party that happens. But then I'm guessing they just compress a lot of the stuff that happens on the boat too. I don't know where the other like 40 minutes gets cut out of. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, from an Oscar perspective, that this movie was nominated for Best Picture on the theatrical cut. No, it was not. It was nominated for Best Director. uh, Best Best Director on the, sorry, on the theatrical cut, which means it wouldn't have included a lot of this context of the characterizations Mm -hmm. of the crew members. It likely was just the action scenes. If I know Hollywood, what they would have demanded was all of the teeth gritting, we're getting bombed, sonar pings you know, the failing craft, but not so much about how they're struggling as human beings because uh, 
who gives a shit about that? They're Nazis, right? I'd love to read a maybe a deeper account because initially, I think when it came over to North America, distributors want distributors wanted them to cut it down to a ninety minute film. Wow. And I was like, I can't even imagine what that would be just, just at bombs. ninety minutes. Like, yeah, it's just the the bombing and stuff like that. But yeah, like you say, it removes so much of the context out of you know these people as as actual characters i prefer not to empathize with characters in a movie well there's probably some more stuff we want to talk about but here's some of the backstory that we can get into so this film debuted in germany on september 17th 1981 but it opened up in north america on february 10th 1982 which is why it was eligible for the 1982 oscars and why we're talking about it on this week's episode it is rated 4.1 on letterboxd it has an 8.4 on imdb on metacritic it has an 86 and on rotten tomatoes from 55 critics it has a 98 percent and then from 25,000 plus users, it has a 95%. Uh, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes or YouTube. And you can stream it on Netflix, at least here in Canada. Again, all of those options are the director's cut. The theatrical version is only available on the Das Boot Complete Edition, which is a five-disc Blu-ray set that you can pick up. Its budget was 32 million Deutschmarks. So I don't know what that translates into necessarily. It did go on to make $84.9 million worldwide, which would translate in today's dollars for $249 million. So it was a pretty big hit, honestly, for, for the time. Its plot description is the claustrophobic world of a World War II German U-boat, boredom, filth, and sheer terror. <laughs> That should have been the tagline. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the tagline, this is the time where I get to don my favorite game show jacket, the long microphone that Bob Barker used to use. Gross. And we're going to play Guess, Guess That, that tag. tag. Dave, you know that when movies go into movie theaters, you'll see the poster of the upcoming movies on the theater walls sometimes. And on those posters, they have the thing called a tagline. The marketing department comes up with it, a way to entice people to come and see the movie. So I have three options here for you of the tagline for Das Boot. And this is the English version, I should point out, the one that came into North America. I was going to ask you to do it in German. Was it the war, the men, the boat? Was it... They were told they were fighting for their country, but they ended up fighting for themselves. Or is it when the hunters become the hunted? What was the first one again? The war, Uh, the men, the boat. boat. I think it's the first one, but I like the third one, but I think it's the first one just because it's death. You're going to guess number one? Yeah. Wrong. Damn no. it. The third one is the real tagline. When the hunters become the hunted. Yeah. Um, so, sorry. Big old. Loser thinking, this week. That's a good one. And then I was thinking about, uh, wow, I was thinking about Hunt for Red October, which now that now I need to rewatch that because did Tom Clancy just write this with an American, <laughs> you know, person? Maybe. <laughs> did you ever watch that other one, U five seven one or whatever that with movie Matthew was called? And like, yeah, the, the early two thousands. Uh, I know. I know. I never did. All so. right, all right, all right's in it, but but it's the only. Other submarine movie I know. <laughs> oh, I guess K nineteen, the Widowmaker. The Widowmaker, which is, which is also either. Harrison Ford. And then there's uh, Black Sea with uh, Jude Law. Mm. I think that's a heist movie. Actually, that's a good one. 
I like grizzled, ugly Jude Law. You know, we miss pretty Jude Law, but now that he's taking all these roles as a bad guy, he's fun. I think him with a beard looks way better. Uh, Jude Law looks better with the beard on. He's kind of going Leo. Leo's getting better ugly than pretty. It's just a little bit more depth to <laughs> well, him. Well, if you say so. <laughs> this movie stars Jürgen Proschnow as Captain Lieutenant Henrik Lehmann Wilmenbrock. Herbert Gronenmeyer as Lieutenant Werner, Klaus Venermann as Chief Engineer Fritz, and Irvin Leder as Johan. You probably love Jürgen because he was uh, Atreides from the first Dune mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, a good one. Yeah. yeah. He's... <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I mean, I like Oscar Isaac and I think the new Dune is great. Should we talk about Dune? I really like Dune. Yeah, I bought I it. You like Dune. It's a great movie. Maybe I, it won uh, Best Picture at the Academy Awards. We don't know at this point because I am um, <laughs> recording out of time. And I'm a staunch apologist of the 80s Dune. Not that it's a good movie, but I think it's a mm-hmm. good attempt at it. And uh, he was a fun duke. He's got such a severe face, right? I know. His face just looks like, oof, very yeah, it's great. cut out of marble yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Shaved out of a block of wood. It's just angular. Mm-hmm severe and yet kind pal <laughs> yet kind i have to tell you this, i don't know why this this popped in my mind right now i like those scenes where they're at the table right at the captain's mm-hmm. table but like most of the time i could not figure out what they were eating i'm like why are you i don't Just know what that food, food is that you're mm-hmm. eating it's so weird it looks so gross most of the time i'm like oh i can't it was crazy when they're fighting off the scurvy and just chomping down a whole lemons and you're like wow yeah just, what a life eh it's just yeah lemons well, do you want your teeth to fall out of your face or then eat a lemon you know the acid and a lemon might do the same thing too but uh, better than scurvy Maybe. i guess i will say that i'm not convinced spending any time with you is better than scurvy the cinematography was by Joost Vakano, whose other top three films as cinematographer was his collaborations with uh, Paul Verhoeven, mm. the Dutch Paul Verhoeven, because he did Starship, Starship Troopers, the original RoboCop, mm. and Hollow Man. I was going to say, RoboCop. This was based on the book Das Boot by Lothar G. Buchheim, screenplay, of course, by Wolfgang Peterson, and directed by Wolfgang Peterson. So the book was published in 1973. It was this fictionalized account of the author Lothar Buchheim's time in World War II. I want to be very upfront here because I think we need to point the fact out that Buchheim himself was literally a member of the Nazi party. He was a card-carrying member and he specifically was a war correspondent aboard U-boats in the war and turned that into propaganda that would help fuel the war machine. However, after the war ended, he would get in to art collecting. I wonder where all that art came from. Mm, mm. Probably questions. You know, Just questions eBay. we have yeah. here. Anyway, he became very rich by showing and selling the work by the world's greatest painters. And he starts writing in the 1970s, would eventually write a trilogy of nonfiction books about his time in the war. And by the end of the decade, would be approached by Wolfgang Peterson to adapt his book Dust Boot into a film. Wolfgang Peterson, on the other hand, was also German, would start his directing career in the theater. And by the late 60s, when he would have been in his mid-20s, he was already making a name for himself in the theater world in Germany. Soon, the German film industry came calling, and he made his first feature in 1974. And then in 1977, would make, at the time, this radical film called The Consequence. It was shot in black and white and dealt with the autobiographical story of Alexander Ziegler's gay love life. The German network that was airing this made-for-TV movie uh, stopped it partway through and would not air the rest of the movie. (laughs) 
I like the idea that they didn't know what it was, and they, the producers <laughs> like, shut what it off, this? like Tootsie, shut it off. Somebody turn this thing off. The, that is the the scene. It's like the network president gets on the phone, clutching his pearls, like <laughs> turn it, shut it down. Oh, das homo. I like that he's wearing pearls. So there's some irony mm-hmm. there too. Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buchheim gladly gave Peterson permission to adapt his work. Buchheim initially thought he was going to adapt his own book into a screenplay. But then when Peterson said no, their working relationship ended and they apparently did not really get along very well for the, for the rest of this. There was a lot of thought in how they wanted to cast this movie because initially they were actually going to go after Hollywood actors. Robert Redford, Paul Newman were both sought after. But ultimately, the decision was to use German actors, one, in part to reduce the costs because you don't have to pay them as much. And because the actual filming of it was going to be super expensive. It took two full years to shoot this movie. Most of the first year would have been the actors and stuff. The remaining was like special effect shots, outward shots, that kind of stuff. So it went from 1979 to 1981 and had so much additional footage. I want to know what this script looks like. I honestly do. Because with how much additional footage was captured, we're talking like... This script must have been like 200 pages long. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how you go into production with that long of a, of a screenplay. But I think I read that uh, the original author wrote a screenplay that would have run six hours. Yeah, something So like basically, that. it's well, not a screenplay I mean, anymore. It's a, no, it's a new novel. You'll find out that that's how much footage they shot anyways. So it's anyways, um, one of the reasons for the time it took and how expensive it was is because they built a reconstruction of the sub. Mm. The inside, not the outside, but the inside of the sub was to scale what exactly that sub would have looked like, and they did it from scratch. The production also used a pretty new camera for the time, this handheld Aeriflex, just because you're not going to get a standard camera to get into those cramped sets the way that they were set up. This camera was even smaller than what was standard at the time, the Steadicam, which uh, I was today years old when I learned that Steadicam is a brand name. I didn't know that, actually. I thought that was just a style, not an actual brand name. Going back to that footage, how much footage there was. This is why there's so many different versions. So we've already said the theatrical cut runs two and a half hours. The director's cut, which is what we watched for this episode, is three and a half hours long. So it adds an extra hour. Then there are two different DOS boot miniseries. One that aired on German television and one that aired on the BBC. The BBC version is six episodes of 50 minutes each. The German version is three episodes of 100 minutes each. So they're the same length. It's just that there's different start and stop points for each episode. That's all available on the DOS Boot Complete Edition on Blu-ray, which hopefully we get a kickback on, but probably won't. Uh, Buchheim was not impressed by the adaptation of his work. While he admitted that the technological aspects of the film were impressive, he thought his account had been turned into, quote, cheap, shallow American action flicks. He also felt that the acting was too over the top. Once it was released, it was pretty successful. It did great business in Germany, but it did even better than expected in North America and would go on to be nominated for six Academy Awards. Those would be Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Director. It won zero of those awards. I can't give Nazis awards. Can I ask you a quick question about that? 
how yeah. did you find the sound on your Netflix? Because my I felt like the sound sucked, and I had I had a mm. lot of trouble. And this has nothing to do with the movie. I think I, it might have been Netflix, and it might have been my computer. I was wearing these giant cans, and there was parts where I was like, you know, I was having trouble understanding. Like I I, I restarted the browser because it felt like they were uh, there was an echo reverberation. Off. Yeah, that the tones were really uh, hollow. Did you have an opinion about the I... actual? didn't notice that but i was also not wearing headphones for this mm. so maybe i would have noticed it more had i been wearing headphones i don't know i didn't notice that no I, I don't know if i had my computer set up wrong but you know once a long time ago you know if you had a dvd that said they had it in 5.1 or 7.1 and then mm -hmm. you would try to down mix to a stereo headset it would fuck everything up you might only get the surround or the center speaker yeah but... i i have definitely noticed that sometimes where yeah they've basically instead of adding like a stereo mix or something into it it's surround sound but like downgraded into like a mono channel mm -hmm. and then yeah this sounds weird because it's not working the way it's supposed to be working because now a gunshot instead of ricocheting just all sounds yeah, yeah. <laughs> come at you instead of it going from left to right or something like that so they, there's actually a great side by side i saw on it's probably on twitter or something about how they did that for John Woo's films, the John Woo films from like the 80s and 90s from, from China. Oh, better luck. Hard-boiled and stuff uh, like that. Is like, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Sorry, sorry. You're right. Uh, but they're mixed Asshole. improperly in their newest re-releases. Uh, so like, yeah, like they're just, they don't flat. sound right. Yeah, I know. It's just because you brought up that it was nominated for sound and I, it just r reminded me that, you know, it was only in the second half. Like I, I didn't notice anything until, so it might have been intentional until uh, after the... Uh, first mines blew up and they were kind of heading towards the big critical pass at Gibral Gibraltar that some of the dialogue and the subtitles were miscued and I was like what is mm -hmm. going on all of a sudden and then I started hearing this like reverberation echo and everything got really muted and I wasn't sure if that was intentional but it was I thought it was really distracting but you know I got over it because the movie itself is uh, you know it's paced so well I want to talk about the, the pacing in just a moment but just because you brought up the subtitle thing I uh, just finished watching Dark Water last night, the uh, Anna de Armas, uh, Ben Affleck oh. sexual thriller that's on why? Amazon Prime it's ben right Affleck. now. Okay, yeah. It's, it's bad. Uh. It's not good. <laughs> I agree. I didn't watch it, but it's Ben Affleck, so. I feel if they didn't have Ben Affleck in it, it would have been a better movie. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, the subtitles, because I was watching with subtitles on, because I watch movies that way nowadays, those subtitles were coming on a full two seconds early. And I was like, right. stop it. It's so annoying yeah. now. Because, but I still needed them on because some actors like to, I'm talking like, I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. So I have to have these subtitles on so I can pick up what you're saying. I should probably admit that I never know what you're saying. Talking about that pacing. What I loved how this film sets up and this director's cut of the movie, right? We get all that stuff on land first. We kind of get a little bit of a feeling for who these actors actually are or who these characters actually are. A little bit of foreboding as they come into the ship because like these young kids have no idea what they're signing up for. It's about a full hour before there's actually quote unquote like action that they see. So it's all this like tension that's being ratcheted up further and further and further. So I think it works so well so that when they finally go into that first attack, it feels so <laughs> like you've been on the edge of your seat for so long. It's like, is this the time? Is this the moment? It's an amazing thing when you have, uh, I mean, it's not really exposition, but when you have uh, an introduction of a series of, I mean, the cast is huge. And then you contextualize 
U-boat technology, the war, you know, everybody's individual attitudes. They they add the one uh, Aryan master race asshole. They're all kind of teasing because mm-hmm. he you know, he's always prim and proper and eating his fucking food. The guy and, who looks like the most German Nazi <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, that was the he's great, like an amalgamation of every Nazi actor I've ever stereotype. seen in one person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a great uh, Aryan irony is that German people aren't actually <laughs> blue eyed and blonde haired. But anyways. Um, right. You know, all of that, and yet you're never bored. I wasn't. And uh, like you brought up, it's not even like I'm waiting for the first bomb to explode. I was I was actually to a point where I was thinking, maybe they don't even fight. Maybe the whole thing is just them sitting there waiting for nothing to happen. And then when the first uh, exchange happens, I'm like, nope, this is going to be fucking wild. Because whether they yeah. sink anything or not, you know, they're going to die. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. You're always on edge the entire movie because it's like you've seen that text at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's already set up in your mind like, well, there's a good chance they don't survive this. I don't know what the actual story is. So it's like, I'm going to like, do they die at the end? Mm -hmm. And especially when you get to that point where they're like, the pressure's dropped completely. They're just sitting on the bottom of the ocean floor. I'm like, well, this is it. This is how they go, I guess. What a great, oh man, what a great scene. Right? The indomitable human spirit. I, I do think we do need to give a huge shout out to... Like that cinematography by Joseph Vacano and how Wolfgang Peterson decides to shoot this because there is this kineticism to this entire thing. We're like shooting through those short little tunnels. We're up down, like mm-hmm. going up the periscope down with this kind of new-ish technology that was there at the time. This is something this is to do the comparison to our last season. Something that just would not have been possible in 1971 just with the camera technology they had. These mm-hmm. would not have been able to do it quite like this. And I think that that's kind of this amazing evolution of technology that allows you to get into something like this where it's like you know i'm in it i am part of this crew (laughs) and i feel like every hit that they come under every time they are lacking oxygen every lemon that they suck on every crab that they have to take off i mean it's like Mm -hmm. you're in it and from a cinematography point of view i love when they're calling out the different lights depending on their tension and they'll flick everything off or a Mm -hmm. red light will come on and all of that stuff is shot so beautifully and seamlessly you know what i think the average movie viewer won't understand how difficult, if we talked about the Spielberg a little bit, you know, how difficult it is to light, especially in an actual tube, to light people's faces <laughs> yeah. and change and it like, for drama. that's all like natural lighting, right? It's just the lighting that, of the flashlights that they're holding or the flashlights on the instrument panel that they're using. Just to get the exposures right all the time. It's fucking glorious. That yeah. year that they took to film was partly too because they wanted people to grow real beards. That's not prosthetics. That's not just putting makeup yeah. on. <laughs> but yeah, right, right. But I like that. I like how some people do can grow like a full beard, and some are like all scraggly and awful mm-hmm. looking. But it's because like, yeah, we're we're not shaving down here. I think I read too that they were also kind of sequestered. Like they weren't allowed to see sunlight either, so they actually became gaunt in real life. That's that's method. That's that, real method. Not uh, Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> gonna be asshole to Kirsten Dunst. We're talking about like people. Sure actually looking like they're supposed to be stuck in a tube for uh, yeah. whatever the tours were for U-boats. But I, I know you don't like like sparkly vampire Robert Pattinson, but I do like his quote of saying, like, isn't it interesting that everyone always goes method to act like an asshole, but never <laughs> method to go and act like a nice person? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? Uh, the idea of method's yeah. all about finding your cruelty. At any rate, th- did you hear that trivia? I just read this. There was a part during this production where the prop they used for the outer shell of the boat disappeared for a week no do you know why no because they didn't realize it had been rented by steven spielberg for raiders of the lost ark 
Oh, that's so It's the funny. same boat. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. I love it. I think that's fascinating. Uh, the only parts that took me out a little visually was the soundstage parts when they're on the hull, you know, when they're splashing water on them. Mm. That was very 1950s. It was very obvious yeah. that it's like rear projection probably yeah, yeah. is what that looks like to me. But. but anytime they're in the boat, holy shit. Now, it makes sense reading that they actually built this thing. That is not... Force perspective or anything. I mean, they were in that no. tube, and you get a taste. You I can taste. just imagine the smell after oh, a year of what you that can see it. <laughs> right? It would have been. It's true. It's like it's it's the type of film you can see the smell. Like yeah. it's just like ugh, I can't I can't imagine. Um, one one toilet for like sixty men for three months. Ugh. ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, I like the little cabaret that happens partway through too, where they're yeah. like dressing up as women and stuff like that. So that's that classic uh, trope, right? About sailors and uh, being around a crew of men for six months or a year, and they they added it all in. It's all in there. It's all in there. Just the idea of submarines is so fascinating. You know, as a kid, I've always been fascinated by submarines. I think everybody is this idea of yeah, underwater. It's like a spaceship, right? It's just yeah. this thing that exists in a separate reality. What I learned about U-boats is that they were technically, they're not the submarines that we think of now. They're not these right. like whale looking tubes. They're meant to, like a U-boat is a yeah, boat. They, well, that they goes couldn't underwater. go down as far either. So. Yeah. So they would, you know, be on the surface like they show in this film and only dive when they need to fight. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting was at th this boat anyway, still had the forward... Yeah, line of sight torpedoes. So it's like they only shoot in a straight line. It's not like this cool yeah, yeah. homing beacon shit. Uh, so I love that scene where they're actually going to attack the convoy. And they're like, yeah, they got to direct the boat and they're calling orders to each other and when to fire. This is just to build off on that. And this is what we'll maybe finish off with is I think that there is that aura of exploration i guess a little bit when you're talking about being underwater and stuff i would never do it because i'm terrified of like the ocean mm -hmm. and going underneath the water so i yes. would never even set foot on a submarine but there is that idea of like whatever the statistic is like 90 percent of the oceans are undiscovered mm -hmm. as of yet like there hasn't been no uh, cameras or anything that have gone down and actually shown what is there so there is always like that uh fear of the unknown a little bit right yeah. it's like we just don't know we have no idea what is there kind of like going to an alien planet and discovering oh Absolutely. look at all this cool stuff there so i'm sure we'll find like a master race of abyss-like monsters that will atlantis kill us all kaiju <laughs> we're gonna it's gonna be uh pacific rim i uh, it's got all of it it's uh it can be both lonely isolating exciting there's war in it there's human drama if you haven't seen it I, like, I would watch this again. <laughs> it's insane to yeah, think about as a three and a half hour epic. But if anyone was like, oh, I don't, I, maybe we'll watch well, Dasu. I'm like, we'll, we'll watch it. Yes. Because it's To, it's to good. put it into perspective, it's like, as much as I enjoy the cinematography and some of the individual scenes and uh, the performances from Gandhi last week, I ultimately left feeling unfulfilled. Here is a movie that, at least in the director's cut, is 30 minutes longer than what Gandhi is. And I would like... Yeah, I'd sit down and watch this again it's versus just, like, I don't really want to sit down and watch Gandhi again. The great thing too, uh, from the writing perspective is like we talked, well, you and I talked about with Gandhi because I wasn't there for the full uh, conversation, but you know, Gandhi fails in a narrative because it doesn't crescendo. It doesn't build you up into a big finish. It's just, you know, it's just these like plot points. Uh, which make it a little exhausting. This thing is written so beautifully that like the first time that they're fighting, you think, oh, this is the big climax. But 
by the end of the film, you realize uh, they have a lot more in store. This is going to get grittier and darker, and they're going to do that thing where they almost die, and spoiler right. alert, uh, you think that they made it, and they didn't. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then they don't. I mean, to your point earlier in the, in the uh, episode, when they're sailing into the dock, and they're having this German parade, you do get this fear, right? And you're just like, oh, is this shot? And they look so gross. And are they even happy to be home? And then when the raid comes in, you're like, what the fuck's going on? Oh, my God. Yeah, After all they've been through. <laughs> After everything that they've been through. It's like, of course, of course, this is what's going to happen. By the way, I don't know what it is. Anytime that there's like crowd shots and stuff, my eye instinctively goes into the background. I just want mm. to see what like the extras are doing in the background. There's this one shot as they're coming into that harbor and like they're showing them up on like the top of the boat or whatever. And in the very background, I have no idea what this soldier is doing. He's doing like some weird like calisthenics Jake. like dance thing. And it's like, why is there a rave happening in the background <laughs> when it doesn't fit what's going on here? Anyways, it's weird. I'm trying to find a gif of it so I can send it. It's just a <laughs> dumb thing that's happening in the background. We're done here. The machine has said that we do have to uh, wrap things up. So I guess we should go into our next segment, which is Critics' Choice. This is, of course, the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. So... We're going to talk about Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael both. Roger Ebert loved this movie. He gave it four out of four stars. Of course, this would be the theatrical cut. Wolfgang Peterson's direction is an exercise in pure craftsmanship. The film is constructed mostly out of close-ups and cramped two and three shots. All the light sources are made to seem visible. When the lights fail, flashlight beams dance in the darkness. Long, involved shots are constructed with meticulous detail. When a sailor races towards the torpedo room, the reactions from the other men seem exactly right. The sound adds another dimension. During the destroyer attacks, the boat rocks with explosions and reverberates with desperate cries and commands. During the cat and mouse chases, we can hear the sonar pings bouncing off the U-boat's hull. When the boat dives below its rated depth, rivets come loose like rifle bullets. When it appears the boat may be trapped at the bottom of the Straits of Gibraltar, the sailors lie on their hammocks, gasping oxygen like dying men. Francois Truffaut said it is impossible to make an anti-war film, because films tend to make war look exciting. In general, Truffaut was right, but his theory doesn't extend to DOS boot. That is a great scene, by the way. I love when the, those things are like popping and like oh, it's filling man. up with water. I'm like, honestly, at this point, is my first time like, well, we're dead. I guess we're just dead now. <laughs> <laughs> that whole sequence. Oh, my God. That's the thing about Diving the writing. Diving trying to weld you know, underwater. You, you and survive it's like, these oh battles God. and they're like they get away from one. They blow up. You get the celebration. They're getting attacked. You always, every time there's a sonar guy who's got a whisper, you know, and he's like, they're coming from the left. A second thing. And, you know, I, I love I love that stuff. But when they sink and they hit the bottom, like you think they're going to die, they're all praying. And then they hit that one mm -hmm. respite with the sandy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That whole, what is it? 10 minutes of them suffocating to death while they're trying this yeah. one shot to get the boat back up. So good. So good. Yeah, trying not to like hyperventilate because that's what <laughs> I would be doing. But uh, Pauline Kale was not a big fan of this movie. If you want to experience the tedium of life in a German submarine, this is the movie that will give it to you. You're trapped for two and a half hours in a Second World War U-boat that's 10 feet wide by 150 feet long. And with men who have the same kind of anti-war nobility that the men had in American submarine epics of the 50s. About 10 minutes in, you may feel that you've already seen this picture. It even has the same kind of heroic, man-of-few-words-but-strong-deep-feelings captain 
The camera keeps moving, yet the whole feeling is claustrophobic. The movement of the camera deliberately calls more attention to how cramped everything is. Not a, not a fan of the German U-boat story mm -hmm. she was. Mm -hmm. KL can be wrong sometimes too. You know, <laughs> it happens. Dave, we need to answer this question that we ask each and every week then. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Yes and yes. I think, um, I mean, definitely holds up. Cultural relevance is weird for a movie like this, but I think from a film perspective, it absolutely is because it's beautiful, holds up from its acting and directorial cinematography. Mm -hmm. And as we're going through a war, I mean, we don't really hear about submarine warfare in a literal sense, but uh, yeah, any story where we get a humanized account of the fear of being in direct con uh, combat and conflict, I think holds up because we have that empathetic connection to it. So yeah, I'm, I, I, like I said, I would absolutely watch this movie again. Yeah, it's a yes and yes from me as well. I think, unfortunately, this is going to always remain relevant, at least the, the sentimentality within this film of just war is awful sort of thing. But I think very few war films do what this movie does so well, which is just that feeling of like unending, like awfulness throughout mm. the whole thing like no one comes off looking good in this movie they just kind of survive by the skin of their teeth and then ultimately still fail when they get back into the harbor anyway so it's it's uh it's gripping the entire three and a half hours well that is what dave and i thought but what do you think you can send any feedback to kyle and dave vs the machine at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter or instagram with the handle kdvstm we also release two videos each week on our YouTube channel that match the movie we're talking about this week. On Mondays, we react to the trailer, and then on Fridays, it's a mini-review of the film. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com kdvstm. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So we should probably get into the rating of this movie ourselves. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Das Boot? I'm going to give it a five. I, I, uh, Oof, yeah. perfect score. I thought this is, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I think it's the, Best movie watched so far? This is so interesting, Dave. What a turnaround from 1971 in that you have already given two films a five out of five, mm -hmm. and I have yet to give even a single movie a five out of five. We knew this was going to happen, so, too. Yeah, Mr. Apologist, Mr. Dave Apologist Yan over here, no, Mr. every movie from the 80s is good. <laughs> Mr. Gen Xer. Uh, these are the movies I grew up with, Kyle. This is These are the uh -huh. movies that set, set the perspective of how I code movies if you will so uh this is a sounds big like a lot of apologizing over there to me just wait till um, we get to okay. the science fiction yeah we're fucked yeah right <laughs> uh i love this movie i am not giving it quite a five pretty close though i'm gonna give it a four and a half out of five it's a really strong movie i definitely watched this again dave you're saying that this is the best film we watched of the year it is tying currently with et mm -hmm. um so you're saying we should put it above yeah i don't know i i mean i you know what, we're, that's, we, we ran into this a lot in 99, you know, they're two fundamentally different genres, like Absolutely, tones, like so. completely different, yeah. Um, I mean, just on the case, like, again, on, on the rewatchability metric that I know I prioritize a lot, I mean, E.T. is going to be the easier one to rewatch. I would find it eminently watchable. 
is Das Boot trying for more? Probably. Is mm-hmm. innovating maybe a little bit more than what E.T. is doing with the special cameras and stuff like that. But yeah. E.T.'s charm is undeniable. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I gave them both the same score for the same reason. I, I would watch both mm-hmm. again. They're both written so well. They're built so well, but in a, such a fundamentally different tone. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm getting from you that we should put it underneath E.T. And I'm okay with that too, because uh, we've got a couple of bangers coming up and we'll see how they sure. all line up. E.T. is fun. The only, you know, uh, catch I have is that before we watched E.T., neither of us thought that E.T. would be so impactful. And I agree. <laughs> and I wonder in five years if we'll be like, yeah, if we'll forget about it because it's quote unquote a kid's film. And when we're older, we'll be like, ah, I'd rather watch uh, it's fine. Raiders or Close Encounters or Jaws because those are Spielberg's mm-hmm. more fun films. Jurassic Park. I personally like to relax by watching people be in incredible pain. For the time being here, at least then, Dust Boot is going to enter our list at the number two position. We have now watched the full 10 films from the year 1982, Dave, so I am excited to see what we're going to watch next week, so I'm going to just push this button here. And this might be the biggest whiplash that this podcast has ever seen. We are going from watching Das Boot this week, and next week we're going to be watching Grease 2. <laughs> so the sequel to Greece. I can't Michelle even... Pfeiffer's first movie that she was ever in. We're gonna watch that next week. I can't even believe I can't believe there was a second Grease movie. I don't think I watched it. I will say this though, just being in the musical theater world, there has been a bit of a reevaluation. At least the music of Grease 2 has been reevaluated to being very good. There's mm. been that conversation here recently. So mm. I have never seen it. I know the first one very well. I've never seen Grease 2, so I'm excited to jump into it. I have a feeling I'm going to like it on a camp level, but it pro- I, I, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stake my claim here. It's not going to be a good movie. Like, no, I don't think it's going to be a good movie. movie. I, I just want to do another quick argument about modern conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, reevaluating the music from Grease 2 is like the same conversation that we had with E.T. that people think Spielberg's a hack. What the fuck is wrong mm-hmm. with people today? Are we so desperate for like intellectual stimulation that we have to pretend that we know something more than somebody else? Grease 2 is going to be a piece of shit, Kyle. It's going to be a piece of shit. There's a reason why nobody knows it exists. I don't know. There, there's defenders of Grease 2. There's defenders of well, there's Grease 2. There's defenders of everything. I, I, yeah. There's a guy that watched uh, the Red Panda movie and said it was a piece of shit because yeah. he didn't know what it was like to be an Asian person. It's like, go fuck yeah, I yourself. Yeah, know. It's stupid. Right? Well, yeah, go yeah. fuck yourself. I agree with that one. <laughs> but I think I think the opposite is true. I think sometimes there are movies. We'll actually get to a couple of them here in 1982 that were hated by critics and audiences, mm-hmm. but then embraced a few years later. Blade mm-hmm. Runner is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The Thing is the other one. We're not really enjoyed. And then it didn't take until like 10 or 15 years later to, for people to be like, actually... This is actually good. I don't know what people are talking about. So, all right. So, again, you, I don't think Grease Two so is going to be one Grease of those things for me. A, but a future like, classic. Like, one, ten more I'm years. Ten Grease more years. Two, I'm going to say I'm going to rate Grease Two higher than Blade Runner. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fighting words. We'll in, in the fiftieth year anniversary of Grease Two, and they have the director's cut. Cal's going to be like, "I told you this movie was good." <laughs> it is wild. The three and a half hour long cut of Grease Two director's cut. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> what they're able to do all right we'll talk about that next week and uh you know get better yeah hopefully just in time for greece too i will have no COVID. that'd be that'd be great what a miss that that i'm sick now i love this movie we should have talked about it more but I, i gotta go
I should probably admit that I never know what you're saying.